This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Saul Becomes King, and it comes from 1 Samuel 10, 9-27. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Or you can catch us on iTunes by going over to the iTunes podcast section and searching for Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Anyhow, today we pick back up with really part two of chapter 10. Last week we talked about anointed for service and we went through how God prepares us for service, how he prepares you and how he calls you, how he gets you ready and then he calls you. And then we talked about his anointing, how we serve in God's strength. And that was the major message I wanted you to catch last week is that we always serve in God's strength. When we try to do it in our strength, we'll burn out and we'll wind up falling short of what we could have done if we'd have done it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But not only do we serve in God's strength, but we also are confirmed by God calling us. God confirms his call. And then not only does he confirm his call, and we saw that by the different examples that Samuel told Saul that would happen to confirm exactly everything he told him, but God equips his call. And then we finished up talking about we do all this on God's timing. And again, Samuel told Saul to wait for seven days. And what we talked about with Samuel waiting those seven days was that he was to wait and pray and wait and study God's word. And we need to do likewise. Now, the Bible didn't actually come out and say that he was supposed to pray and study God's word. But we looked at God's word and how it shows us that when we're waiting on God, we should spend time in prayer and in his word. And it strengthens us. And God uses that to build more strength and faith in us. Well, today we pick back up and I want to jump right in. I've got a lot to cover. So we're going to jump back in at 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting at verse 9. And I'll be reading out of the ESV. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. So we'll stop right there. So the first thing I want to dive into is verse 9. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. I want you to see that he left Samuel before God did the change in his heart. He, God could have done this change at any time, but God did it 
after he left Samuel. And he did it for a reason. He did not want Saul to look to Samuel as the one that changed his heart. He wanted Saul to understand that it was him. It was God who changed his heart. Samuel was just the person that was speaking on behalf of God. Now today, God doesn't speak to us through Samuels per se, because Jesus came and Jesus was our prophet. We learn from the Bible what Jesus taught and we have the whole Bible to understand what God says. So we don't need the prophets to speak on behalf of God, even though there are still times that people have the word of prophecy. Most of the time, we get the direction that God wants from us from his word. We don't necessarily get it from someone else. As a matter of fact, I would challenge you to be careful when you take a direction from somebody. Now, God can use somebody to confirm a direction he's already put in your heart and that he's spoken to you about. But God rarely uses somebody to come give you that new revelation. It's through you and him and your personal time with him. But getting back to our text today, in verse 9, it says that God changed his heart. It was through the Holy Spirit that his heart was changed. Last week, we went into a lot of detail about the three miraculous signs that God would use to confirm the call that he put on Saul's life. And now we learn that all three happened, just as Samuel said it would. But more importantly, we learn that as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And you know what? Today, when God comes knocking on your heart, when we accept him, that the Holy Spirit helps change our heart. He comes to live inside our heart. Listen to what Titus 3, 5, and 6 says. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because we've come to Christ, our hearts were stubborn before we turned to God. But now that we've turned to him, he gives us a new heart. 2 Corinthians tells us that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. See, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. God gives them a new person. There's a new person that comes to live within them, and the old person dies away. It's gone. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so we see right here in verse 9 that the Holy Spirit moves on him as he's leaving Samuel. And what does he do? He gives him a new heart. He makes him a new person, just like we do and just like Titus told us happens when we are saved. And this is a fundamental thing that each and every Christian needs to understand. There are Christians that say they've been saved, they've prayed a prayer, yet they don't live like the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. And the Bible clearly teaches us that when we are saved, that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us. It's God's seal of our salvation that he puts on our heart. And just as God changed Saul's heart, through his power, he changes us through his power as well when we're saved. Well, you may go, Tim, what do you mean by he'll change you? Well, right here, we see in this text that Saul had a visible change. Look at verses 10 through 12 with me. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. But here's the part I want you to catch. 
And when all the men who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said one to another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul among the prophets? See, the change that will come upon you after the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, after God changes out your heart, people will say, what has happened to you? You're different. You're not the same. No, that doesn't mean that you're immediately holier than thou. We have to still work through the process of sanctification. But what I am telling you is that people will see a change in your heart, the way you respond. And what happened here? The people said, Who is this man? Is this not the son of Kish? And is he among the prophets? Because this is not the guy we know. He was some donkey chaser. See, Saul was an unspiritual man who became very spiritual at the time that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Some would say he got religion. But there's a difference between religion and getting the Lord to come live on you and live within you. And I'll go back to what I said earlier. There are a lot of people that have gotten religion. They turn to religion, but they haven't turned to God. They haven't made Jesus their Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that today, I don't care how often you go to church. I don't care how often you pray. I don't care how often you read the Bible. If you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, if you haven't surrendered to him, if you haven't given everything to him, do it today. Let the Holy Spirit come live in your heart. Be a changed man just like Saul. But we see a similar reaction to Jesus in the New Testament when he began to perform miracles. The people were amazed at Jesus and they said, Is this the carpenter's son? Listen to Matthew 13, 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? See, what happened, Jesus began to teach and he began to do miracles. And those that had not known Jesus and been around Jesus, but just knew of him from afar said, hey, is this the same Jesus? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not Mary's son? And you know what? When you're saved, people will see a change in you and they'll ask that. Is this not Tim Carter? And then look at another man answered and the question he asked, he said, and who is their father? In other words, where does this prophesying come from? What is the source of that inspiration? And of course, the answer is the Holy Spirit. It tells us the Holy Spirit came upon Saul. And so it brought a visible change and it will bring a visible change in your life. And it was such a change that the Bible tells us that it became a proverb. It was, is Saul also among the prophets? And it refers right back to the incident of this happening. And so when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit brings a visible change in you. We read in Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you come to Christ, you know, you have all your sin and all your hang-ups and all your buddies that have known you know about all that. But when the Holy Spirit begins to change you, you become that new person. And people notice the difference. And the Holy Spirit brings about that visible change just like they saw in Saul. But the other thing, he leads us to worship. Look at verse 13. And Saul stopped prophesying and he went to the high place. The high place was a place of worship and sacrifice. The prophets that Saul had met had just come from the high place. Now Saul proceeds to the high place in order to worship God. 
Jesus said in John 4, A time is coming and has now come when the true worship will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. See, God is looking for worshipers before he's looking for a leader. He's looking for someone that will worship him in spirit and truth. They're not doing it for show. They're not doing it for their own accolade, but they're worshiping him out of spirit. They're worshiping him out of truth and out of the true heart that's been changed. And today, I ask you to check yourself. If you don't have that visible change, if you aren't worshiping God, if you have to make yourself worship God, if you don't look for ways to worship him, if you've not allowed him to come and change your heart, go to him today and ask him to help you. I'm not saying you're not saved, but maybe you just need a re-anointing. Maybe you need the spirit to come fill you up again. Whatever it is, stop right now and take care of it. But we've seen that God changes his servant, and he changes us on the inside and the outside, and it becomes visible. But he also does this on his own timing. God has his timing. We've talked about this over the last several weeks. But let's dive into that real quick. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. So Saul returns and his uncle asks him, Where have you been? And Saul answers truthfully, saying, Looking for donkeys. But when he mentioned Samuel, his uncle's ears picked up. Anyone would have been interested in what the prophet had to say. So he asked Saul, what did Samuel say to you? And once again, Saul's answer was truthful. He told us about the donkeys, but notice it's only a half-truth. Notice that he didn't share everything. Samuel had said to him all about the king and what was going to go on and how it, was, it came to pass, but he doesn't mention any of that. Saul was still adjusting to all this in his mind, and the timing for him wasn't just right. Maybe he didn't even believe it, even though all the things that Samuel had told him have come to pass and came true. Saul is still working through it. Here's a great principle that we can learn. We know because we have the whole Bible and we understand what happened with Saul, that he truly was king. But sometimes God shares stuff with us and he tells us and he confirms that and all the stuff we talked about last week. But just because all that takes place, we need to make sure before we just rush out and tell everybody and share it with others. Now, I'm not telling you to hide what God speaks to you and tells you, but let's confirm it. Let's have time to process it, and let's wait on God's timing for it to take place. We need to take our time. We should keep it private and let God do his work first. One commentator even says that Saul was wise by not telling See, he knew that the Lord had revealed to him that he was going to be king over Israel. But what was the point of saying that I am now the king of Israel until the Lord declares him king? Now, he's been anointed with oil. God has shown him that he's going to be king, but it hasn't become a public declaration yet. So there is some wisdom in waiting to tell what had really happened. Waiting on God's timing. Hopefully you learn that you should be humble and that you should let God do the promoting himself. 
We should do it on God's timing. We don't rush the process. We don't run out and tell it, but we let God's work speak for itself. And speaking of letting God's work play out before the people, here we see that just happen. God's order for his choice is laid out right here before us. First of all, we see that anyone can be chosen. Let's look at verse uh, 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up, Israel, out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who serves you for all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So what we see is Samuel summons the people to this public assembly in order to present themselves as a choice for a new king. But before presenting Saul, he begins with the word to rebuke the people. He reminds them that they have rejected God, the one who saved them from the human king who enslaved them in Egypt. Having a human king over them wasn't God's will for them at this time, but God answered their prayer anyway. Be careful what you ask for. Remember, we talked about that two weeks ago. And then after rebuking them, he instructs them to present themselves before the Lord by tribe. Now, historically, this was not a good sign. You know, the last time that the people presented themselves before the Lord by tribe was back in Joshua 7. It was where Achan had sinned against the Lord and God judged him and his family. But now God calls the people of Israel to present themselves to him once again. Look at verse 20 and 21 with me. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clan, and the clan of the matriarchs was taken by Lot. And Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Making a choice by Lot was very common in this day, and so Samuel publicly chooses a king by Lot. He says, I'm going to give you the answer that you asked for. I'm going to give you your request, even though God says this is not what he wants. I'm going to do it anyhow on behalf of God. We're going to do it. So line up and we're going to choose. And so then what does he do? The order here was the people first, then the tribe, then the clan, and then the family, and finally the individual. By starting with the whole people, it showed that the people of Israel, that any one of them could have been revealed as God's choice. No one was overlooked in the process. So there's no competitor later that can arise out of this choice that Samuel's about to make. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So by choosing by lot was a public confirmation of what God had told Samuel privately. And the prophet's word would be strong and would be believed because he had done what was right in front of the people and the people trusted him and they had come to him and said, hey, give us a king. So by him doing this lot, it was God's choice. He knew who it was supposed to be, but it was also showing that anybody could have been king. You might go, well, Tim, how does this apply to me? Well, first of all, you need to let God open the right doors for you. Psalm 75 says, No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt a man. But it is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. What God wants for you, if you will walk in his timing, will you allow him to open the door? Will you do it as God sees and you'll follow in his spirit? 
then he can exalt you. He's the one that can lift you up. He's the one that gets the glory by lifting you up. Now, don't get me wrong. When God calls you to do a service, that doesn't mean you can't go ahead and do that, but allow him to be the one that gets the praise and the glory for it. But I also want you to see the humbleness of Saul. Look back at verses 21 through 24 with me. He brought the tribe of Benjamin by its clan, and the clan by the matriarchs was taken by Lot, and Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired against the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulder upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all of you. And all of the people shouted, Long live the king. It's almost funny, even though it's not funny, that Saul had been chosen by Lot, yet he was nowhere to be found. So they asked the Lord, and the Lord responded, presumably through Samuel. He's in the luggage. He's hiding in the luggage. He's been chosen king, but he's checked himself into the baggage claim section. Now, we're not told Saul's motive here, whether it was out of humility or out of fear, but it certainly was not out of pride or arrogance. He could have easily step forward like he was the king. Hey, all of you bow down to me right now. But that's not what we see. We see his humility. We see maybe a little bit of fear. He wasn't for sure what to expect out of this. But what happens? The people run out and they grab him. They bring him back. And immediately they marvel at Saul's height. It has nothing to do with him being a good king. But God had given them a king that pleased their eyes. He was taller than anyone around. The Lord had chosen him because God knew that they wanted to see strength and they wanted to see a tall and strong man. Well, you might ask, well, Tim, if that's the case, then why didn't God get them the right king? Well, he's going to give them the right king. But I think he gave them Saul because he knew what was going to happen. And his choice of Saul was part of the judgment that he was giving them for their wrong and foolish request for a king. And then what happens? The people shout out, long live the king. This just shows their desire for their pageantry, for the image of a human king. They've longed so long for a human king like the rest of the world that they knew that they could have a ceremony now and they could have functions just like the rest of the world. And so they got to yell, long live the king like the rest of the world. And then let's wrap this all up with seeing that leaders honor God. Look at verse 25 with me. Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it upon before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Samuel does three things right here. He explains the regulation, he explains the rules, and he writes them down on a scroll, and then he puts them at the feet of the Lord. He lays them before the Lord. It's a legal agreement between Saul, Samuel, and the Lord. I don't have time to go through it, but in Deuteronomy 17, God had already written down the regulation of kingship through Moses because he knew that this was coming. A king was going to be over this nation of Israel. But the symbol of laying it at the feet of the altar to give it to the Lord is showing that the king is the king. He's ruler of the people, but he serves an audience of one. He must honor God and his word. 
In the same way, we should do likewise in a leadership role. We should make sure that we always honor God and we follow his word. We live his word out. As a leader, we should be living out the word of God and not like the world. And then the other thing what you see is that Samuel dismisses everyone. It's not Saul. Saul is now king. Saul has gone through the process. He is king. Yet God speaking through Samuel still shows his authority by dismissing everyone to their home. And I'm out of time, so I'm going to hit this last point pretty quick. What I also want you to understand as a leader, there will be people that are not happy with you being chosen for that position. And we see it right here. Even though Samuel has chosen Saul, there are folks that are not happy. And we see that in verses 26 and 27. Look at that with me real quick. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him men of valor whose heart God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. First of all, you see that Saul went home like everybody else. This is so new, there is no place for the king to live yet. And Saul, like every leader, has supporters, but he also has those detractors. He's accompanied by valiant men. That's what the Bible calls them, men of valor. The main function of the king at this time was to rule the military, to defend the people. So the men will form this core army that go with him and they battle and they take care of the nation of Israel. But notice that God moved on their hearts to join him. But then there's also the detractors, the troublemakers, those who publicly question his leadership. The Bible tells us that they despised him and they brought him no gift. As a leader in the church, let me tell you that there are going to be some that will be detractors too. Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone is going to like your style of leadership. But that's okay. Your job is to honor and please God, not those that are detractors, not necessarily the people around you. Every leader has those that challenge them, that say, he's not what we need. She's not what we need. That's where we learn as leaders that we have to do the right thing, even if it's not a popular thing. You notice that the troublemakers criticized Saul, but he said nothing. He kept silent. There is wisdom in keeping silent. That is an awesome approach. The best way to silence your critics is not through words or getting in their face, but it's through action. Prove them wrong. We see that Saul will do this in the very next chapter. He will silence them because he will rescue the nation of Israel. I'm completely out of time, so let me close with this final thought. When we get saved, we're kind of like Saul was. We're chasing after donkeys. Donkeys are stupid animals, and we're out doing stupid things chasing after those stupid animals. But then God gets a hold of us. He chooses us. He knocks on our heart. And when he does, he gives us a new heart. And we're saved. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and we... We act and we do things differently. First, there's an internal change by the Holy Spirit coming into our heart when we accept him as Lord of our life. And now through that, we start seeing the fruits of the Spirit slowly emerge out of our body and people notice the difference. And then, you know what? Some of the people that we used to hang around with don't like it anymore. Just like we saw right here at the end of this chapter, there are people that didn't like Saul as the new king. What I want to challenge you today, God is knocking on your heart. Maybe he's called you to something and you're like Saul and you're hiding in the baggage. Maybe you're running from it like Jonah ran from it, just like Saul kind of ran from it. He was hiding. 
Maybe that's what you're doing. God's called you to that. I challenge you today to give it to him. Maybe you've never given your life to God. I challenge you today to give your heart to him. Let him change you. Let him let you be a leader among the people that are in your circle, in your world. Will you do that today? Will you give your life to him? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you for Saul. And even though he was not the king that you originally were going to give the nation of Israel and the people asked for it, and you did give them Saul, and you gave them one that will later uh, turn from you, Lord, we learn from him. Lord, you give us in your word things that we can apply to our life. Even though we may never be a king of a country, maybe we'll never be president of the United States. Maybe we'll never hold an office inside the United States. We all are leaders. You've called us to be leaders. You've called us to go and be fisher of men, to go and make disciples. Lord, I pray right now that those listening will Take to heart the things that we've learned from Saul and the things that you did, how you called him, how you confirmed him, how you equipped him, and how it was all done on your time. Lord, right now, I pray for the one that maybe you've called them to do something and they've run from it, they're hiding from it. Lord, I pray they'll give it to you today. Lord, maybe there's the one that's never accepted you as Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today will be the day. Lord, they will believe on the finished work on the cross. They would Believe with their heart that you died for them, that you took their sins and you nailed it to the cross. And then you overcame death and gave us a victorious hope of our second coming to you. And Lord, right now, I pray that they would confess that with their mouth. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings in this ministry. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.